That question is so loaded, John. I don't even know where to start well, with that. Well, well, well I, I listen, guess, I guess, I guess the problem is, is. And by the way, kind of, I love that question. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Interesting. This is an interesting. Topic. What's the solution here? Show up, understand your part, and just crush it. Pay per click, social media. We can talk about all this stuff, but what really matters is patient experience. That wow factor. Please, are you listening to yourself? Come on. What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. So sit back, take notes, and listen. Oh, oh I love this. This is going to be fun. Startup Uncensored. The questions you have with the truths you need to hear. And now your hosts, Michael Dincio and John Bertagni. Good morning, episode three. Super excited about today's episode. We've got Jason Greenland from Wells Fargo. Uh, welcome, my friend. How are you doing? Thanks for joining us today. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. You know, the small technical problems at the beginning here, but I think I finally got it figured out. <laughs> it's okay. John, my co-host and friend and partner, what's shaking bacon? Well, I'm wearing my um, banking blue Oxford shirt, uh, just just for solidarity standpoint. Of course, of course. You know, um, we were expecting a suit and tie by by Jason today, but <laughs> right, a, a thin, about it. yeah, a bit, a, you know the, the the blue with the the stripe exactly. Uh, Jason, thanks for being a part of this. We're we're really excited about the banking part. Uh, obviously, this is pretty instrumental in terms of building a dental practice that you uh, you have some money behind it. So um, thanks for being a part of this. Most importantly, thanks for giving us the straight shooter mindset of the banking world as it pertains to dentists that want to start a dental practice. This, this is perfect. Yeah, kind Absolutely. Of, I'm excited to be here. Kind of a, the pinnacle of the whole process. A lot of people really start with banking. They're as we've already kind of set up in our in, in this podcast series, is there's a few other there's a few other things to do before banking. But a lot of people go right into banking, and I and I bet you this is a pretty frustrating thing from you. I'm an I'm a I, I like to say I'm a recovering banker because <laughs> I because I, I am over that life. But isn't it interesting, Jason, how uh, doctors come to you with no plan? And no idea about really what they're doing. And they want you to tell them how to start their business. But really what you want, correct me if I'm wrong, really what you want is for them to go to you with the plan, the vision, the budget. Am I, does that sound about right? Yeah, that would be helpful. Um, (laughs) We get everything, I hear everything under the sun, right? So, you know, there's some people that are in the very beginning stages, don't know where they want to open up, you know, don't know anything about their plans. They're just, you know, coming to me for information, right? Like you said, almost direction. And then there's people who have everything lined up, already have a space lined up, and then at the very end are looking to get financing, which you know, can also not be a great idea. Yeah. You know, I think it's one of those things that you kind of got to explore more early in the process um, because it's going to dictate your project, right? How much can you afford? How much can you afford for your lease? You know, how much construction? All of that stuff. 
Yeah. Um, so I think it's important early. And but yeah, you're right. You know, people come very, very early, which is great because you can educate them and set them in the right direction. But yeah, a, a freshman in dental school asking you to, you know, let's get this thing, this ball <laughs> rolling, right? Uh, but why is that? You know, how how do you differentiate? I don't know if you ever dug in with some of these these dentists that have said, you know, I'm coming to you. This is my vision. This is my budget. You know, where where did they get that information early on? Was it you know, how, how did that, how, what's the difference that the, the Delta between those mindsets? It's so strange to me. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I think that people, you know, there's a certain percentage of dentists out there that know they want to start a practice. They're very entrepreneurial and, you know, they know that they want to start rather than acquire. Yeah. And so um, they just kind of have a thirst for knowledge. Right. And so they might not know exactly the steps they need to take. Oh. But they know enough to reach out and ask a lot of questions. And so um, I think it's great. You know, I, I do love fielding phone calls like that because you can tell they're they're very excited about starting their practice. They want to know more. They want direction. They're like sponges, mm -hmm. you know, and um, you can introduce them to the right people and kind of guide them along that path, which yeah. is, I think, one of the most rewarding things about working with startup doctors. Well, I think that's what we're trying to do here, uh, Jason. You know, thank I know that you guys were super excited, the whole Wells team, because we are trying to give those steps in a sequential manner. So yeah. you, you you don't have to dig into demographics. You don't have to dig into real estate and and really guide them, which is outside of your, you know a lot and, and you've done a lot of these things, which is fantastic. And most bankers across the country have, but we want to put them in the right buckets with the right people and with the right mindset for these meetings. So. Um, you know, this is this is a. I'm I'm looking forward to this this session here today. Mike, I guess, why you, yeah, go on, man. I I guess the I got a question. So, yeah. like, forget COVID, you know, because COVID is happening kind of as we're doing this recording. But yeah, just just big picture, there aren't a hundred banks that are doing startup loans, right? Like startups traditionally are by the metrics riskier, but the, the mind-blowing thing about r startups is they're not that much more risky. Like, I remember when you're I saying, was- You're saying more risky than a buying a practice, correct? Correct, correct. Just or, so we know what we're talking about. Or all, or all dental loans, real estate, equipment, the, the, entire, the entire banking portfolio in, in the dental space, as, as, I, as I knew it when I was a banker, was really less. It was less than 1% default. So we're already working with a very low default rate. But of those defaults, you know, the higher percentage would be the startup. And sure. so I, it's kind of, we're working with fractions of a percent here. So yeah. they're already really, really good risks, no matter which direction you go. But big picture, why why, why is Wells Fargo doing startups? Why do you guys believe in them? Why do you think they work? Why do you think they make sense? Yeah, well, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. We believe in them, right? So we've been doing them for you know, 20, 30 years, and um, they have a high rate of success. You know, like you said, they are the riskier loan um, within you know, acquisitions, expansions, and other dental loans. But generally speaking, um, there's the majority, the vast majority of them are successful. Um, and I think it's a great entry point and 
and way to build a relationship, a long lasting lifetime relationship with, with the doctor and the, the doctor with the bank. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think there's just a lot of benefit to it. And, you know, if you're going to be in practice lending, <clears throat> you got to do all phases of it. Right. So I think that there's a lot of value in the fact that, yeah, we could do a startup, we could do an acquisition as your practice grows, we can do an expansion. So we're with you throughout the entire journey of your career. By the way, really quick, yeah. thank you for cleaning up the background with all your trapper keepers and all that kind of stuff on your shelf. You look really, uh, uh, <laughs> really well organized. I appreciate it. I don't, I don't, hey, I don't know if, if our audience knows what a trapper keeper is, but I, <laughs> that's my buddy, my buddy. It's really fun because when we started this whole Zoom thing, you know, in April after, um, you know, coronavirus set in, we started doing our team meetings on Zoom. And my manager said, you know, let's critique everybody's background. And what does it say about the person? And someone commented that it looked like I was going to be scrapbooking after work. <laughs> and, uh, yes. It's ironic because I think that's my wife's scrapbooking stuff right there. So I'm so glad you did scrapbooking after work. You, you hey. said, I don't give a crap. I, I'm, I'm going to keep it. I'm keeping it. <laughs> I, I think it adds color. You know? and, I might, and I might send you a thank you card after with a personalized red heart stamp. <laughs> I'll put it there. You'll see it next time. That brings up a question, you know, and I'm just, I'm not the, the banker of this, uh, this, this conversation here. But, uh, you know, how do banks actually really make their money? It's not really in the interest rates. Right. It's not really in the interest. Like, how do they make what does this relationship look like and how is it a symbiotic relationship with the with the, the, the borrower and, and moving forward? How do they make money? Yeah, I think that, you know, ideally that we can win the relationship. Right. Win the whole banking relationship. That's, I think, the goal. Right. We want to we want to be able to help the customer not only with the loan, but also with the banking relationship as well. So. The loan is one component, right? But it's kind of a transaction in a sense because it's, you know, you get it and then it's it's done, right? But a lot of times when you choose a lender, they're going to want you to bank with them as well. And so you got to think of it more as a relationship because the loan is one aspect, but it's going to come and go. But yeah. then you got everything else, right? You've got the banking relationship, the merchant services, you know, all the other services that you're going to need from a bank are going to have to play a role in that as well. So I always tell clients, you know, maybe lender X is seven basis points below lender Z, but think about the relationship as well. Are you going to be paying other fees to do other services that you need? What requirements do they have? You got to look at the whole picture um, yeah. and really take that into consideration. And that's 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 a great point because as you bolt on services, and and I think this is with a lot of banks, as you bolt on services. So you sometimes get different rates for merchant services. You get different rates for loans. You get different. So the more, you know, it's kind of like my insurance. The more things that I have with it, home, auto, you know, whatever it is, the you get discounts. Same thing happens with a lot of banks. Is that correct? Am I, am I some? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Right. yeah. 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 It's, it's very important to think about the whole relationship versus just that transaction, right? I, I get the rate's important, right? You want to get yeah. rate. And you want to get a competitive rate, but at the same time, you got to look at the whole picture as well. Because if you're going to a bank that, you know, maybe they have three branches and it's not near your office, um, and they want you to bank with them, um, you know, take everything into consideration and look at more than just the rate. Well, I think, because I think listen, that, yeah. listen, 
Yeah, because even in the merchant, let's talk just merchant services alone. There could be a delta of two percentage points on the transaction fees. So suddenly, if you're doing, if you're a million dollar practice and you're doing eighty percent of that in merchant services, I mean, you're talking tens of thousands of dollars extra in in just in that percentage of swiping cards. So everyone has to think about the overall relationship. Thank you. I, I th- and that Jason, I'm just kind of teeing it up for you just to keep keep this momentum because at the end of the day, yeah, you yeah, I think doctors are so analytical and they have to be. They're wicked smart, but when it comes to uh, you know, data points and and statistics, it's really easy to see you know, a 3.5 and a 3.6. Oh, that's higher, you know, and and it's really easy to make a decision, but there's fees, John, merchant services, payroll, you know, yeah. check scanners, credit cards. Uh, you, I mean, the, the banking industry really does make their money over all of this, not yeah. just interest rate. And Jason, I, y- you tell me like, I'm starting to see loans as a loss leader these days. The interest rates that I'm seeing today, and I know kind of putting a timestamp on it, the interest rates we're seeing today are kind of a loss leader for the bank. And so I guess my advice to the to the doctors is really look at this whole thing because, you know, when I used to do these calculations, like like back in the day, I used to compete against Wells. I think you know that. And, yeah. you know, and, and I remember pulling up amortization schedules and between me and and my competitor in this scenario, Wells Fargo, it would be like two thousand dollars for the entire course of ten years. And I'd be like, "Are we really even talking about two thousand over ten years?" So um, that that interest rate is so is is just a fun little exercise. I, I just want all the viewers to understand that. Bank, yeah, with, bank with people you feel comfortable with, that you know you could have a relationship with, that you know. I remember my dad, who's the dentist, you know, he would go into the local bank and, you know, everyone knew him. It didn't matter. And you can do that at Wells. But that that's the relationship. And he banked with that bank throughout his entire career. I mean, mm-hmm. crazy. But mm-hmm. bank with people you want to to deal with. It's good to have that camaraderie, that they know who you are. Um, you know, I think it's important. Um, you know, from a banking perspective, this day and age, you could do a lot of things remotely. Uh, so that's definitely an option. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some people, it, it, you know, maybe they take out a loan with Wells Fargo, but, you know, banking with Wells Fargo is not going to meet their needs because there's not a local branch. So that's a possibility, too. Um, you don't necessarily have to have a banking relationship with us in order to get a loan with us. You know, we'd love to have that. But. Um, it's not, it's not required. It's not necessary. Well, John, John makes a good point though. Like how do you deal with the cash? I, I, I had to deal with that at B of A all the time. And, and, uh, you know, the ca- the cash relationship is very important to all banks. I'm assuming it's pretty important to you guys too. So how do you manage that cash if you're in, uh, Juneau, Alaska, and there's no Wells Fargo branch? Yeah. I, I mean, I think you, it, you have to have a banking relationship elsewhere, right? If there's not a if there's not a branch and you have cash, um, you know you gotta you gotta work with a local bank. Then I mean, Wells Fargo obviously has a huge footprint, so the majority of folks are gonna um, have a Wells, a Wells Fargo that's local. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and I think you guys you guys also sell Wells Fargo mattresses, right? That they could put the money in, correct? <laughs> yes, yes. You can, uh, <laughs> you can put your money under the Wells Fargo mattress as well. <laughs> it's awesome. I haven't heard about that product yet, but maybe it's on the horizon. It's coming, twenty twenty one. Yeah. Well, um, but but to that but that to that point, yeah, you guys, your your technology is solid. You can transfer money super easy these days. Um, you are going to need some kind of cash relationship with the bank to your point. But am I hearing that, you know, it's not required in areas that the bank's not in or the uh, the state or the area that the bank's not in? Is it required to set up a checking account or no? No. Okay, cool. It's not even required if you're in an area with a Wells Fargo. Um, But again, we would love to earn your whole relationship, right? Mm -hmm. And I think we do a lot of great stuff. Um, we have a whole relationship manager team that specializes in healthcare. Um, that's kind of like the doctor's one point of contact and they're going to be familiar with the business and the doctor. And so I think there's a ton of value there, um, cause they're really going to understand that business. Um, but no, it's not required. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could tell you, uh, the practices that we had with my partners, we use Wells and it was a, it was a great experience and, uh, the app, all that kind of stuff. And this is not just putting you guys on a pedestal, but, it was a it was a really simple uh, solution, and we happened to ha- have brick and mortar in our area of Colorado, so it was it was really simple for us uh, for merchant services, etc. So, um, yeah, a, a broad stroke of uh, a product offering. So, well, how 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 important um, is it? Like, I, I'm kind of I'm like I'm going to throw you a softball real quick. Just John right. always says leading, leading the witness. Softballs, <laughs> but you know it, it, it's it's kind of important, and I think it needs to be touched on. Why why working with a bank that is healthcare specific so mm. important? I, I mean, the pitfalls are in my mind endless, but I, I'd love to hear it from from you. Uh, it's a little self serving, but you guys are healthcare specific. You've been in this space for years and years and years. It's why you do startups. Right. Where a lot of local schmokels don't do dental startups, you, you know, at the end of the day, working with a healthcare dental uh, vet medical team that understands the industry. Why is that so important? Yeah, I mean, it's very important because, you know, we understand the business, right? That's all that's all we do. So our underwriters don't underwrite a loan for a restaurant and then a loan for a gas station and then a loan for a dental office. They're. They're underwriting only loans for dental offices. So we understand the business. We ask the right questions. Um, our products, you know, are the right fit. So I think we can add a lot of value. And then, you know, talking about, for example, the sales, the sales team, right? So we're well networked within the dental community. And so we can connect the doctors, um, you know, yeah. to the right partners that they need, you know, whether it be consulting or equipment or a CPA. Um, so I think there's a ton of value that could be added versus them you know, just going into the local bank that, um, you know, doesn't have a specialty dental product. They don't, they aren't well-versed in the industry. They don't know the players. Um, you know, I think the doctor's missing out on a lot of value that could be added. I I couldn't agree more, um, for anyone that does dental specific loans from an underwriting standpoint, because you guys know that ramp up period, you know, that hockey stick, you know, it's not going to be, you know, a direct vector, to the moon uh, from day one, you know, it's going to be a, a gradual growth. 
So what that's going to do, the local Yokel Bank, and nothing's wrong with them, by the way. Um, certainly people can use them. Um, but, you know, they might not look to working capital the correct way to preserve right. enough of that money for that payroll, for that rent, for that, you know, hockey stick. And what I mean by hockey stick is, you know, um, slow growth and then, you know, um, large growth. And it's, it's really difficult sometimes on these these videos to to do that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's it. Opposite. Uh, but, but, but am I right? Like, that's what underwriters do. And you might even be able to say like, hey, man, let's pump the brakes a little bit on some of this stuff. We need to preserve some of this loan for mm -hmm. working capital or for marketing. And that's honestly, that's what Mike and I are trying to do is mm -hmm. make sure people preserve the right buckets so that they don't get in trouble with you, the banker saying, hey, man, slow down or hey, man, we need more money from you. Yeah, right. Exactly. So let, exactly. Let, let me ask you a question here. When when someone comes to you with a definitive business plan, you know, I'm not saying spiral bound, but something on paper that's saying, look, this is what I want. Like a trapper keeper? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Hey, let's from this episode moving forward, every every one of our uh, followers on our private group should get a business plan trapper keeper. <laughs> and I want a Wells Fargo sticker right on the front of it. Like let's, let's I roll with this. Let's roll with this. I love it. But you know, how does that, how does that process, does that move it forward? Like how, how do you guys look at something like that? It, it, does that allow you guys to say, okay, you're at step six out of 10 versus, you're starting at, you know, step one. Like, how do you look at things? How do you move people forward? What's the process in terms of banking? Obviously, you have to get your shit together, right? You have to get what you yeah. need together and get your fiduciary mindset. Um, but, you know, these guys are coming to you with, you know, debt, right? Jason, mm -hmm. I mean, they have debt. So how do we, we can't avoid that. How do we give these guys hope and direction that they're going to be able to get a loan and get the rate that they want and put themselves in the best light when they open their doors, then turn on the, you know, the open sign outside their door. Give, give yeah. me predictability here, man. Well, first of all, first off, there's a misconception that you can't get a loan if you have a bunch of student loan debt, right? Well, the thing is, is, you know, since we only lend to dentists and doctors, most of the people that we're talking to have a bunch of student loan debt. So that doesn't, that doesn't mean you can't get a loan. So, you know, in regards to the business plan, um, I think it's a great tool. I recommend that, you know, everybody starting a practice do a business plan. We actually don't require a business plan, but if, if a business plan is not provided, we certainly have a list of questions that we want to know the answer to. You know, specifically in regards to why did you choose the space? What are the demographics like? How are you going to market it? So basically, you know, a business plan in a different format, right? But I think it's really important. You know, you need to have you need to put thought into what you're doing. You need to understand why you want to open a practice here versus here. Right. You know, what's the competition like in the area? Um, the underwriters want to see that you've done that research, and they want to see that from a demographic perspective, it's a favorable spot to open a practice. Yeah. Could, 
Could that be the difference of getting more money, Jason? Yeah. I mean, it, it can make a difference. I wouldn't say yes in every human being, but you know, if you lay out the case for <clears throat> if you're asking for more money and you can demonstrate, I'm opening in this location, you know, this is what I need, this is why I need it. Here's a bid for the contractor showing this is the minimum it costs to open up. The underwriter's more likely to sign off on a larger loan in some well, cases, right? Let's, because let's put it into their world, right? Hey, yeah. You need a you need a cap on that tooth, right? You have some pain. You need a cap, or do you take an intraoral camera? Do you give them a full treatment plan, the hows and whys? Do you give them a brochure, the propensity for that patient to say, "Yeah, you know what? I do need a crown," because you co-diagnosed and you gave them all the materials to say yes. Same thing goes. You give an underwriter and a banker information to get what they what you want the more chance you're going to be able to get exactly what you need 100 100 percent. i yeah. it, it, it's full circle of where we started with this 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 beginning was go prepared don't don't go to the banker and correct me if i'm wrong jason but i used to hate it when people came to me and asked me to write their, basically write their business plan over the phone. Like, like I wouldn't write it, but they would call me and then I'd literally give them the, the eight steps and they're, you know, they literally could have wrote it all out down and made that a business plan. And it was like, come on, come on. Like, like if you want to go into business, what, what worked with that corporate office? What didn't work? What do you want to do? What, what areas you want to serve? What technology are you going to have? Like, yeah, I mean, why why wouldn't an underwriter give you twenty five grand more if you laid out all of those details for them? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think to to differentiate though, you know, I don't think you need to have a business plan all set before you call a banker, right? Like, I'm fine if people call me and they they want to ask questions about, hey, what are the next steps? What does it look like? All of that stuff. But when you're ready to move forward. Yeah, there should be some thought put into it. And definitely, obviously, before it gets to the underwriter, right, you have to have a plan in place and you have to have show research and know the competition in the area and things like that. But I don't think you should hesitate calling a banker to get more information about what the loan looks like or the process looks like um, or be intimidated by that because you don't have a business plan yet. Because I get people who call and they say, oh, I don't know if I should be calling. Like, I don't really have a business plan yet, but I just wanted to know more information. And that's totally fine. You know, I'm happy to you know, kind of guide and coach people along the way. Like you said, I don't want to write someone's business plan, but if they need questions to help, you know, like, hey, you should know this or that and think yeah. about this, you know, I'm happy to do that for sure. Well, okay. So getting into some specifics about the the, the loan real quick. So I I get this question all the time as a consultant. I feel like I, I, I uh, you know, some, some clients are very, very interested in it. Some are just like, yeah, whatever, it's part of the process. But I feel like it needs to be uh, explained a little bit more in, in detail, if you wouldn't mind. So, yeah. so there's there's actually two interest rates on a project loan, correct? Like, so there's one there's one interest rate that's during the project, and then there's another interest rate that's once the project's over and the loan technically closes and you start your payments. That's another interest rate, and 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 that's the interest rate that everybody knows, right? Oh, I got a 4.7 or I got a 2.1, like whatever, right? They know that interest rate. 
but no one really talks about this other interest rate. So break it down because it makes sense to me. I was an ex-banker, but I think it, it deserves its own spotlight. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a topic that, you know, I always go over with clients when we're talking about the approval and kind of how the loan works and things like that. But it's always one of those topics that you got to explain twice, right? Because it's hard to digest the first time. Um, and so we, maybe we'll have to do it twice here as well. I don't know. But um, <laughs> basically, the way I try to explain it is there's two phases to the loan. There's the draw phase and the repayment phase. So as you mentioned, the repayment phase is, you know, the 10 year term of the loan, typically 10 year term, you know, some banks offer seven or, or higher, but yeah. uh, that's the one that gets the most attention, right? But the, the, the progress interest rate is the, the rate during the construction period. So while you're taking, while you're drawing down your loan, because when you get a startup loan, let's say you're approved for $500,000, the bank doesn't just wire $500,000 into your bank account. Right? Why not? That's a great idea. Just wire <laughs> a half a million dollars right into someone's checking account. I just yeah. graduated. Give me 500. <laughs> I won't go over budget, I promise. Um, no, so we monitor the project as it goes, right? Because we want to make sure that we're staying within budget and, and things like that. So as the borrower is drawing down the loan, um, the money that they draw starts accruing interest. And it's at that different interest rate. It's called the progress interest rate. So let's say they need to make a $10,000 down payment on some equipment. And so they draw that $10,000. That $10,000 then it starts accruing interest at the progress rate. Yeah. which is generally speaking going to be higher than the normal rate of the loan, the 10 year term rate of the loan. Um, and it varies from bank to bank what that could be and from loan to loan what that could be, but it's generally speaking higher. Um, and so the whole loan isn't accruing interest at that rate, just what you've drawn. Right. Yeah. And so let's say you draw another 50,000 to pay the contractor, then that 50,000 starts accruing interest at that rate as well. Once the project's completed, then the bank adds up everything that the borrowers used um, and the progress interest that's accrued, and then the 10-year term starts. So during that progress phase, typically there's no payments due. Um, I guess I can't speak for every bank, but I could speak for, for Wells Fargo. During that phase, there's no, there's no payments due. Um, once the, the project is completed, then the payments are due after that based on the amount used. And the great part about funding a loan this way is let's say they're approved for $500,000, but they're able to kind of work their budget down to 475. Yeah. Well, then your loan would end up being based on what you used, which is 475, not on the 500. So there's some benefit there as well um, that you're not taking money you don't need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One more thing I would add to the rate component is, you know, aside from the whole relationship as well, just when you're comparing rates, com make sure you're comparing apples to apples, right? Because you know, you may be looking at, let's say, a 4% versus a 3.9. You think, well, the 3.9 is better, but what are the other terms of the loan, right? Is the bank charging fees? Are they charging points? What's the prepayment penalty? Um, do you have to provide information financially from your CPA, which is going to cost you money, you know, if you have to provide, you know, semi-annual reports and whatnot and your, and your time, right? So I think just, you know, like I said, rate is important. I get it but making sure that you're comparing apples to apples, right? Look at all the terms and conditions of the loan and make sure that, you know, they're, they, that great rate is really a great rate and not stuck with a bunch of things that, you know, the other loan might not have. Really, I want to touch on this a little bit more because it's something that I coach my clients uh, every single day of the week. 
it's interesting. Every startup thinks their first year is going to be the hardest, right? Um, but the truth, the truth is, is that's, that's not the case. So listeners, listen up. So the first year is actually one of the easiest, mainly because of what Jason just lined up with the lower payments, right? Yeah. Um, but you also have working capital. So you have a boat, you have a, a Brinks truck worth of cash <laughs> sitting in your checking account. You got discounted loan payments. If you got a good real estate firm and we're going to interview a bunch of them, they're going to get you free rent. You're going right. to have your associate position money coming in. You got all of You're these. Loaded. You're loaded. You are, lo- you are loaded. And then... <laughs> And then your working capital's gone. The discounted payment went up a little bit. Your associate position's gonzo because you finally quit. And some people quit too early. Shake your head, right, Jason? Yeah. They quit, they quit too early. And so <laughs> it, it's gone. And so all of a sudden, the cash flow goes boom. And, and the second year is, is that doozy. Am I, do you guys see the same thing, Jason? Is that I sound yeah. accurate? Pretty accurate, right? Because, you know, it's key what you said about the associating, right? And not stopping that too early because it's really your lifeline in some sense, you know? I think a better idea than just stopping it is maybe scale it back. If you're associating two days a week, maybe move to one day a week and see how that works before you just, you know, cut ties with it. But yeah, you know, typically on a startup loan, the payments aren't going to start out, you know, right at a high 10-year payment, right? They're going to start out lower. So there's actually four tiers. Um, Usually the first three payments are something like $100. And then the next nine payments might be interest only. And then there's another step for the following 12 months. And then after that, you know, then you go into that fully amortized 10 year payment. But the the benefit is, you know, when you're first opening up your practice, you're not going to have a full schedule. Um, You know, you're not going to have the money coming in. Hopefully you're associating, right, which is a requirement that we have that a smaller oh, bank yeah. might not have that requirement, right? And I think you're doing a, a disservice to the to the borrower if you're not making sure that they associate and have that outside income because it's very important. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so the, the you know you have the two year ramp up period, which is going to help you know ease the burden of having payments right on the front end when you're trying to focus on building your practice. Yeah, the second year, you know, for all the reasons you said, it can be very difficult. Well, and and, and to that point, you know, some people have big months. You know, they. They go and take an implant class and suddenly they did two implants that month or three implants and they have two more on the schedule for the next month. And they they project forward saying, I'm doing implants all day long now. Yes. And suddenly. Yes. So, so listeners, please, let's, you know, like, uh, set, settle it down. Just don't, settle don't, it down. slow growth, slow don't growth. Scorch the earth. Don't scorch the earth. Just keep yeah. the keep the relationship intact. And and how and how hard is that for them though, right? Like we talked to Doctor Crawl, and uh, and he he even said like, um, you know, he learned so many lessons at his corporate gig that he didn't want to do. He didn't want to be there anymore. And so for him, for all associates, they don't want to be there anymore. So it's really easy to just scorch the earth and burn the bridges, but you can't. You you need some of that cash flow. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so let's jump back to budgeting real quick. Yeah. Um, how how frustrating is it in the market when and I and I don't know too much about the Bay Area or the politics there or whatever, but every every area is different. But how frustrating is it when when uh, the team as a whole 
doesn't work with the banker on the budget and all of a sudden the project gets over because whatever reason, change orders or crazy equipment orders or whatever, decisions are being made and then you find out about it three weeks too late and the next thing you know, the budget's completely whacked out. Does that happen? It used to happen to me all the time. Does it happen to you? And what would be the best practices there? Because in general, I think the banker should be brought up to speed quite a quite often. <laughs> and then I also want the next question because I, I I want this to be a at the forefront of people's mind. Who oftentimes are the ones to make sure to be aware of that do crush the budget? Yeah. I think construction is always the budget crusher, right? That's the one that always comes back with change <laughs> orders or, you know, they dug this up and found something and now they need 50,000 more to complete the project. That's the one that always comes with surprises. Really? Okay, you, um, you've you never had an uh, equipment guy come in equipment, on a 300, a 300, a 300? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on a startup? On a startup for two operatories? It's never happened? <laughs> Okay, that's happened too. By the way, if you get a quote for three hundred, run, run. Actually, actually, quite frankly, these days, anything above two for a startup is is almost crippling. These days, run, run. These, run. So Most, anyway, yeah, we do a lot of due diligence up front to make sure that we avoid this, right? So that's why before we start funding, we want to make sure we have an equipment budget and a, a contractor's quote, right? So we have quotes on both. So we know this is how much equipment we need and it's written down. And this is the you know construction budget you know, from the contractor written down. Now, of course, there could be change orders as things go along with the construction, but the equipment should be the same, hopefully, right? So I think that helps mitigate a lot of, of overage stuff, yeah. uh, but it certainly still happens. It's still a problem and, and something that you need to, um, you know, be mindful of. I think using a contractor that specializes in dental, from my experience, tend to have less change orders and, and are tend to stick to the budget a little bit better. Yeah. But I don't I don't want to generalize, but I, I I have noticed that. So, you know, working with someone who's built dental offices before, right? Not just one or two, but you know, hundreds. You're yeah. gonna get somebody who's gonna you know, have a higher likelihood of coming in, not only on time, but on budget as well. Good. That's good information. Well, um, I'm going to step in a little bit here and just say thank you. Uh, this is this is exactly what I wanted to hear. Uh, this is exactly what our listeners need to hear and our viewers need to hear. Um, so thank you for being frank and, you know, I know there were some uh, softballs handed to you, but we also uh, answered, you know, we also gave you some questions that uh, that we we really wanted to know. And I, I think um, I think you handled it well and you, you, you gave us the straight shooter type of uh, answers that we needed and that are a part of this show. Um, can I say showgram? Showgram? Say showgram? Part of the showgram. Um, yeah. But I, I'm, I'm canceling that. Uh, producer, <laughs> cancel that out. That's out. <laughs> but this is uh, banking is such a, a key piece. Uh, we thank Wells Fargo. We thank you, Jason, for being a part of this. And um, 
you know, this is this is what we want. We want you guys to be able to reach out to Jason um, and uh, banking partners, and you know, to answer the right questions and be prepared for the projects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's 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 been great to be on here. Um, I think it's a great experience, and um, happy to do it. Yeah. yeah. One thing that's bothering me about this episode, by the way, is the is, is the fact that I called startups risky. I want it to be known on the banking episode that startups are successful. Period. End of story. Can, can you echo that and finish on that, Jason? And thanks again for being on the show. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's why we do them, right? Um, and we're still doing them, is because they're successful, right? It's, yeah. it's, um, we believe in them and they're successful. And, and yeah. No, right, well, get, get, get to your bedazzling, Jason. Thanks again for being on the show. And um, we look forward to hearing from everyone. Um, any questions, you can reach out to any one of us and we're happy to answer them for you. That's right. Yeah. Thanks again, buddy. Great. Thank you. Thank you both. Thanks. Check out Startup Uncensored on Facebook and YouTube. Click like, subscribe, and interact with Michael and John.